Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Happy New Year. We're brought to you today by ExpressVPN. We do have good, bad, and crazy martinis today. And Jim, we'll start with one that's not the official good martini, but given how you have uh, consistently informed our listeners of your opinions of one-time New York Jets head coach Adam Gase, the fact that he was fired a short time after the end of yesterday's regular season, I know is good news for you. I know from our discussions in past years that the exit of one coach doesn't necessarily mean a quality hire for the next coach, see Adam Gase. But uh, after this season and really the last two seasons, I know you're as excited as you can be for a team that uh, didn't win many games this year. You know, Greg, I'm going to answer a a question or an observation about one of my passions by referring to another one of my passions, that being Star Wars. You know, at the end of Return of the Jedi, where they've knocked down the shield generator to the Death Star, and they've the the most of the heroes are off doing one thing, but the giant fish man Admiral Akbar yes. tells the fleet to attack the Super Star Destroyer. Super Star Destroyer gets to, you know the controls get destroyed, and it ends up sinking and crashing into the Death Star. And the director told everyone, jump up and down and celebrate because you just won a great victory. And the actor playing Admiral Akbar was either very tired or he's like, no, I don't feel like doing that. I don't think he'd celebrate. I think he just kind of slumped down in his chair, exhausted <laughs> and kind of sad that it had to reach this point. We're asking, why is Jim talking about that? Today, I am Admiral Akbar. I'm sad that it came to this point. I am sad that we had to waste two years of our lives watching Adam Gase coach badly in every aspect of coaching. And we are back where we started two years ago. So, uh, yeah, hey, Happy New Year, everyone. Actually, the year, New Year is looking up because Adam Gase <laughs> is no longer with the organization. That, when I, put, I wish he had been fired out of a cannon. <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, when he was hired, you were not excited. In fact, you could have said, it's a trap. But uh, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of come full, full circle on that. Right? Yes, yes, indeed. So we'll see who the Jets come up with. Uh, the Bears made the playoffs. Uh, they are going to be the seventh seed, thanks to the fact that there is a seventh seed this year, and they're going to play the New Orleans Saints. So, I mean, it's obviously better to be in the playoffs than not be in the playoffs. I don't have huge uh, optimism, but given where things were with a six-game losing streak, you know, anything's possible. But take the Saints. <laughs> hey, you know what? You just need Alvin Kamara to to spread the COVID to everybody on the entire Saints team, and I guess you guys could win by by forfeit. So. That's about the only way it's probably going to happen. But hey, I, I should be I should be happy about that. But uh, a lot of folks in Chicago just thinks it's going to mean Mitch Trubisky's around longer than we than we expected. Uh, I know here in Washington, uh, I still call them the Redskins, but the Washington Football Team won the division at seven and nine. A lot of Giants fans furious that the Eagles decided to try out their backup, backup quarterback, Nate Sudfeld, in a game that could have won the Giants the division if the Redskins had lost. Um, guys, you were 6-10. and 10. I'm not sure you got a huge amount <laughs> of grievances say, here. It's very tough to argue. We were robbed. <laughs> Our 6-10 record earned that position, that spot in the playoffs. Yeah. No, I, I, should you try hard unless, you know, you're resting guys for the playoffs or guys are banged up and you don't think it's worth it? Yeah, I can I can see the the gamesmanship uh, aspect of it, but anyway, you were six and ten, so Greg, I, I, not a lot of tears. To quote the wisest philosopher in the history of Western civilization, Herm Edwards, "You play to win the game. That's right. You don't just play it to play it. 
it's almost as fun sometimes to watch the other guys not get what they could win than uh, than have you guys win what you could. So anyway, let's uh, let's talk about our actual good martini here, Jim. And the good news here is that something really stupid and bad didn't happen. So we'll take that as a good martini. But Reason Magazine tipped a lot of folks uh, off to this at the very end of last year. This was originally published on December 30th, so this would have been last Wednesday. It said, for many American craft distillers, 2020 was already one of their worst years. The COVID-19-related closure of tasting rooms and cocktail bars, loss of tourism and inability to offer in-store sampling slashed their sales revenue and cut them off from their customers. Then this week, just as it seemed they'd made it through the worst of a terrible year, the FDA had one more surprise in store. The agency delivered notice to distilleries that had produced hand sanitizer in the early days of the pandemic that they now owed an unexpected fee to the government of more than $14,000. More than 800 distilleries pivoted from spirits to sanitizer, offering it for sale or in many cases donating it to their communities free of charge and it helped to ensure supplies of sanitizer when it was otherwise unobtainable. Now, what happened here was is that a provision of the CARES Act that reformed regulation of non-prescription drugs got involved. Under the revised law, distilleries that produced sanitizer have been classified as over-the-counter drug monograph facilities. The CARES Act also enacted user fees on these facilities to fund the FDA's regulatory activities, Add it all up. For small distillers, that means ending the year with a surprise bill of $14,060 due on February 11th. But the good news is a lot of people protested this, not only the distilleries, but uh, right-leaning media and so forth. And so this would have been the very next day. Um, The Department of Health and Human Services reversed the policy in a statement posted to Twitter. HHS Chief of Staff Brian Harrison said small businesses who stepped up to fight COVID-19 should be applauded by their government, not taxed for doing so. I'm pleased to announce we have directed FDA to cease enforcement of these arbitrary surprise user fees. Happy New Year, distilleries, and cheers to you for helping keep us safe. So, Jim, the real good news here would have been not to be stupid and punitive in the first place, but the next best thing is to not actually make these distilleries pay. So, in the end, it's a happy ending to a mess that never should have happened in the first place. Yeah, and I suspect a lot of people hearing of this story, Greg, would come to the conclusion, ah, this is another example of federal bureaucrats being a bunch of idiots. And, and you could come to that conclusion. Um, there are a couple of reasons you might, though. The first is that a lot of federal bureaucrats are idiots. Um, but the second reason is that I suspect that particularly when it comes to compliance with regulations, there's a certain mentality to people. I don't know if you buy into the Myers-Briggs classification of personalities, but there are certain personalities where people are very, very good if there's a checklist. And if it's on the checklist, they will do it. They will check the box. They will follow the instructions. They are very, um, maybe even like, you know, kind of Vulcan logic, you know, very, very rational, very specific. But if it's not on the checklist, they, they can't really uh, address it or, or get their minds around it or adjust on the fly. Uh, this is a great mentality to have in a safety engineer. It is not a great mentality to have somebody whose job is to regulate the, you know, uh, oversee the, regu- the, the regulations of creating uh, things like hand sanitizer from distilleries and things. Now, as much as, as uh, years back, I wrote the Weed Agency and I wrote, did a lot of research for it was technically a novel, but ended up making the Washington Post nonfiction bestseller list, which probably gives you an indicator of how much research went into it. And part of the problem, like we can say these people are idiots and no doubt there are idiots in there. But another part of the problem is that the structure of federal agencies 
is that it rewards the people who have the checklist mentality. It rewards the people who do exactly as they're told and never deviate from that and never create problems or headaches by improvising or adjusting or going off the plan or off the checklist. Now, here's the thing. The only, in fact, the only time deviating from the checklist becomes a problem is when it becomes controversial. And there's kind of this unspoken saying, don't do anything that would end up on the front page of the Washington Post. This statement came along back when the front page of the Washington Post was universally trusted and seen as a useful measuring stick of that, which is newsworthy. You can argue about whether that's still the same, still the case today. But this is the only way you get accountability in a federal bureaucracy is if it actually becomes a controversy and you get enough people saying, oh, my God, how could they do something that stupid? In this case, thankfully, HHS stepped in and said to the FDA, what the hell are you doing? Rescinded it. And it's going to have a happy ending for the distilleries. Um, but that is a good example of the mentality there. Like you blame the bureaucrats, sure, but also notice the, the system in which they operate and what gets rewarded in the federal bureaucracy and what gets punished in the federal bureaucracy. Wow. Wow. So is this an, an, an example of the HHS waiving it uh, at this time and then Congress has to fix it because it was part of legislation? How does this work? Can HHS just waive it forever? Well, remember, we waived all the taxes for Obamacare. We reduced them to zero. So there, there's that option there. I mean, my suspicion is, look, in, in a global pandemic, you're going to be dealing with situations you never really plan to. And it's entirely possible that, well, based on the rules on the books, if you've changed over from being a distillery to uh, being a uh, health product manufacturer, well, then this you know fee imposes or something like that. It's a dumb rule, but I don't doubt the rules on the books. But uh, the problem is that somebody at FDA should have said, you know what? This rule that's on the books isn't really designed for this kind of circumstance. We don't want to punish people for doing the right thing and trying to help their communities. Somebody needed to step up and say, I, as FDA commissioner, or I, as the FDA review board members or whatever, would say, you know what? This is a dumb rule. We're not going to enact it in this. And we'll go back to the, we'll, we'll tell Congress to go back and adjust it uh, unless they don't have unless they have the authority to completely repeal it themselves. It's another example of uh, having to pass legislation, big legislation in short order, and people mm. slipping stuff in there that uh, most lawmakers, I assume, never read and uh, had no idea was in there until something like this actually happens. So good on HHS for at least wiping that off the books for right now, and hopefully that can get fixed for the long term. So big government, not good. But you know what big tech and big government have in common? They want to silence any dissenting voices sometimes into submission. So let's say you're a proud gun owner and you want to talk on social media about the right to bear arms. Well, chances are that your post might be flagged by a content moderator and you might end up on some kind of government watch list. So to fight back against having your voice censored by both big tech and big government, we recommend ExpressVPN. You see, the problem with big tech is not only do they attempt to censor what you might say, they also can track what you do online, what you're searching for, the videos you watch, basically everything you click. They can match your activity to your true identity by using your device's unique IP address. But when you use ExpressVPN, they can't see your IP address at all. Your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your internet data for protection from hackers and eavesdroppers. ExpressVPN will be by far the best VPN you'll ever try. It is the VPN rated number one by CNET, Wired, and countless other tech publications. And what you'll love most about ExpressVPN is that it couldn't be easier to use. The app has one button. You tap it, and you're protected. It's just that simple. Can you go over that again? How do you set that up? I mean, it sounds pretty complicated. 
one button, you tap it, you're protected. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty easy. It really doesn't get much uh, easier than that. So stop letting big tech and big government censor and track you. Defend your rights and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash martini. That's expressvpn.com slash martini to get three months free. With that link, though, you got to go there. Visit expressvpn.com slash martini to learn more. All right, Jim, let's get to the phone call. Yesterday, uh, the phone call was released. I think the conversation was fairly recent as well between President Trump, uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, various assistants. The chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was on there, a couple other lawyers in Georgia, a couple lawyers for the president, including Cleta Mitchell. And the issue was, uh, you guys aren't doing enough to, to weed out the fraud. What about this, 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 and this, and all these irregularities that we keep hearing about? Um, we'll play the, the clip that's generating the most interest in, in a moment. The, the weird thing here, Jim, in my opinion, is that Trump was on the call at all. Uh, he just kind of uh, ended up rambling at times, uh, brought up a lot of different allegations, but even at times he was uh, talking about, well, my crowd sizes were huge. There's no way we lost. That's not exactly a legal argument. So uh, here's the one that's uh, drawing the most attention about where he says we need to find uh, the number of votes to take the lead in Georgia. You know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. And, and you know, you can't let that happen. That's, that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyers. That's a big risk. But they are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard, and they are removing machinery, uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can, both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. You know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes which is one more that we have because we won the state. So, Jim, the issue here is that, uh, of course, the president's position ought to be we want to make sure every legal vote is counted and not illegal votes. And we're confident that in that situation, we'll have the most number of votes. When you come out there and say, we just want to find this number of votes so we have the lead, uh, it, it, sound, it sounds terrible. His larger point was that when you add up all these alleged irregularities, we should easily have that much. All I want to do is find this many. Um, I think it sounds more stupid than sinister, but uh, a lot of people are seeing it very differently. How do you see it? Yeah, it is the inevitable result of Trump's character that's been visible from the beginning. But the one th there are a couple things that are weird here, among them that the phone call is happening at all, uh, in part because the Secretary of State, Brad Ruffenberger, he can't alter the results at this point. The election's over. The vote count is over. The recount is over. The certification of the votes is over. The Electoral College has met. The Electoral College has voted. The last step is Congress uh, uh, counting the votes from the Electoral College, which happens this week. And, you know, lest any one of these listeners, any listeners think, oh, but this is where Pence is going to pull some <laughs> remarkable part uh, maneuver that's written on the back of the Bill of Rights that you need the Nicolas Cage sunglasses to see. no. The Congress will, you know, will count the Electoral College. There are not disputed uh, slates of electors. The bunch of guys who are supporting Trump said, well, we're the, we're the Trump electors, so we we count. No, they don't. They were not certified. They were not reflected. State legislators did not do it. They just decided it the same way I could say, I am now the coach of the New York Jets, has the exact same legal weight. <laughs> um, by the way, my phone has not rung being offered the, 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 that job. Um, 
Ruffensburg, there's nothing Ruffensburg can do at this point. It's done. They, they, we're, we're well past that point. But Trump really seems to believe in his head that if he gets on the phone with him, apparently he'd been urging his advisors that he wanted to call up the Georgia Secretary of State for, for a long time now, that if he could just get on the phone with him, that somehow he'd be able to uh, bully him, plead with him, beg, arm twist. I mean, at one point he said, uh, why can't you just, uh, uh, you know, recount or, or, or why can't you just uh, re- readjust your recalculate as if like the, the, the entire state forgot to carry the one and the vote totals were wrong or something like that. There is none of that. And this is just a matter of Trump. Just basically, basically this phone call, if you read the whole transcript, post put the whole transcript up there. They put the whole audio up there. Nothing's being taken out of context. There is no good context in which the president of the United States calls up a state election official and says, find, uh, find the number of votes that I need. Um, this entire thing is basically like Trump's Twitter feed in verbal form. And he really does believe uh, every conspiracy theory that has come his way. I suspect from Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, but who knows where Trump is getting all this stuff. He keeps him, you know, because at one point he says, this isn't social media, it's from Trump media. Look, Donald Trump does not know the difference between a reliable source and an unreliable source. He does not know what goes on with with the, the voting machines. Uh, he does not know how the presidential election process works, by, proven by the point that he's whining to Reffensberger in the, in the month of January. Uh, he does not understand why judges keep rejecting the arguments of his legal team. He doesn't know what the law is. He doesn't know what the separation of powers under the Constitution. Uh, and he simply wants what he wants, and he cannot understand anything outside of that context. Uh, I would have loved to have seen at some point during that whether the, uh, for the president to be asked whether Brad Ruffensberger has a brother. Because that was one of Trump's conspiracy theories, that his brother works for the Chinese. Brad Ruffensperger doesn't have a brother. It's just a different guy with the same last name. <laughs> anyway, it is a, a humiliation, uh, I think both for the president and sort of for the country. The president is free to call up someone and say, hey, this is what I think happened. But the president is just spewing nonsense. There is no uh, taking parts of machines out. There are no destroyed ballots. There are, All of this stuff, you know, none of this stuff has been presented in a courtroom. The president and his lawyers have had ample opportunities to present these in courtrooms. Judges keep rejecting them and saying, no, your evidence is not compelling. None of these affidavits are, are from believable sources. You know, the election is over and the president is just in this extended tantrum well into January that he somehow had won and some sort of magic 11th hour change is going to keep him as president of the United States. Um, it's, it's pretty appalling. It's, I don't know if this particular phone call is the worst thing the president has ever done, but I think his overall reaction to the election results and his complete inability to recognize incontrovertible election results and his desire to somehow find some magical way to undo the election results in defiance of the law, in defiance of the Constitution, that probably ranks as the worst thing the president's done. We might so that, to- that's why it's the bad martini, Greg. <laughs> yes. We might get to this on uh, Wednesday, but uh, you know, you saw folks in the last few days, there had been a number of House members, and now there are a number of senators willing to object to the electors of various states that they consider questionable. Uh, and a lot of folks on social media getting very excited about that fact. You don't have the votes. I mean, you win things by having the votes. You, they'll have debates. There might be a, a delay in, in officially uh, saying what Congress has to say in accepting the results. But ultimately, the votes are going to be on the side of accepting the electors and that Joe Biden is the 46th president of the United States. Um, what do you think it does for tomorrow with the uh, two Senate runoffs in Georgia? Does it help if you're a Republican? I mean, very little the president has done since Election Day has been helpful. Uh, at one point on Twitter, he insisted that the 
runoffs were unnecessary uh, because he had won by such a large, the Republicans had won by such a large margin. Keep in mind, Warnock won the most votes in that what they call a jungle primary, where there's like every candidate yep. is all on the same uh, on, on the you know on the same ballot. Um, so under that argument from Trump, Warnock should be the next should be a senator uh, because his idea that we should the runoffs would not be legitimate. Um, the president has basically been insisting. You know, basically, Lynn Wood showed up seemingly out of nowhere, held a rally with Powell down in there, and it was supposed to be a press conference. It turned into a rally, and Lynn Wood argued or is, and has been arguing Georgia Republicans should not vote in the runoff in order to demonstrate their anger over the election results, and basically, I guess, to exercise more influence over the outcome of elections. Linwood is persuading Georgia Republicans that they can become more powerful by not voting. <laughs> you know, if, if that is the case, you can become really, really powerful just by sitting on your couch and never doing anything. This is not how things work in, in this country. You become more powerful by voting, by being a voting block that people have to cater to. Um, it is, it, look, I, I have no idea what's going to happen in Georgia. I would not be the least bit surprised if Democrats won both. I think if Democrats win both, the, you know, you can, you can blame uh, the, the Republican candidates for not being as strong as they could. You could you know, everybody and their brother has shipped all their money and all their volunteers out there. But I think the president's spending the better part of two months running around insisting that the election was fraudulent and it was stolen and embracing with both arms every conspiracy theory under the sun did not help Republicans in these runoff races. The postmortem on the Lynn Wood action here is going to be fascinating. I assume somebody's going to do it because, uh, yeah, his argument that by Republicans not voting will somehow prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the fraud. Uh, that's called surrender. That's not called fraud when you lose by those margins. Uh, and then he, he tweeted out something in the last few days that uh, the Republicans that don't stand with Trump are traitorous and ought to be executed. I mean, at some point, you just are beyond yeah. the pale. And- well, this is also, yeah, he, he completely tied QAnon to John Roberts. Um, and he made a reference to lizard people today. <laughs> that one might be a joke. And I emphasize might be, because once you're basically believing that the Chief Justice Supreme Court is involved in child trafficking, uh, it's very tough to figure out when you're joking and when you're just, you know, using uh, comic exaggeration. It's entirely possible that Lynn Wood believes in lizard people. And if you might say, ah, oh, what's the big deal about having a crazy belief like that? That's what the Nashville bomber reportedly believed in. People are now blowing up cities because they believe in lizard people. That's where we are as a country. So don't tell me there's no harm in Im- indulging in a little bit of kooky conspiracy theories. Don't tell me that because we've already seen the, the effects of that so far. All right. Well, the crazy. Hey, happy. Isn't everybody glad we're back? (laughs) I'm sure right now listeners like, hey, don't you guys have some more awards to give out? Hi, I'm Sarah Carter, host of the Sarah Carter podcast. Everywhere you look these days, we're seeing an aggressive effort to destroy what made America great, tearing down our history, attacking our freedoms and canceling any person who dares to cross the progressive speech police. We cannot stand by and let this happen. It's time for the silent majority to become the unsilent majority. Join me on the Sarah Carter podcast. Subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we got another martini, though. That wasn't the crazy. That was the bad. We have a crazy martini. And let me tell you, the craziness also extends to the eastern end of uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, where the U.S. Capitol exists. And uh, yesterday was the start of the 117th Congress. I love how reporters tried to make it dramatic as to whether or not Nancy Pelosi would win the speaker's vote. 
Nancy Pelosi never holds a vote unless she knows she's going to win, although that's a vote she really couldn't postpone. But she knew she had the votes. She squeaked it out. Of course, uh, she'll be the speaker uh, for the next two years. Uh, the thing we're going to talk about here, though, is Emmanuel Cleaver. He's a congressman from Missouri. He's an ordained minister, and he gave the opening prayer for the 117th Congress. Uh, a lot of it, as you'll hear here, maybe in the first, I don't know, 20, 25 seconds here, sounds pretty good. It's taken straight from Scripture. And then he gets into... Um, all sorts of uh, craziness here in the last 12 seconds. Uh, and then you also need to factor in here that the House has decided that they're going to use non-gendered language uh, in their in their legislation and in other work that they do. So there's no such thing anymore as mothers and wives and daughters and sisters. It's siblings, children, spouses, uh, whatever I missed there, uh, parents. And so uh, here is the last uh, bit of Emmanuel Cleaver's opening prayer. May the God who created the world and everything in it bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O Lord, peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma and God known by many names, by many different faiths. Amen and a woman. Amen and a woman. As many people have pointed out, amen is originally a Hebrew word, which means uh, so it be it or, or let it be. Uh, it is not a gendered term at all. And so, Jim, the wokeness on Capitol Hill is going to get uh, – Crazier and crazier, particularly if the Democrats win both of the Senate races tomorrow. Uh, what do you make of the fact that we don't have gendered language anymore and the fact that uh, Representative Cleaver actually went there in the very first prayer of the session? Uh, Greg, what is what is Congressman Cleaver's first name again? Emmanuel. I'm sorry, you what? Man, you all. <laughs> no, no, it should be a woman, you all. <laughs> Because if he's if he's keeping that, he's just running around using the word man, just like some other terrible sexist male chauvinist. And also, um, I assume that means for the rest of the year, he will not offer any amendments to any bill, correct? <laughs> because that has the word men in it twice, right? That's that's twice as bad. I believe if he does it from the rest of the year, he should be offering merely a woman, a womanment. <laughs> Because you know, we can go through the entire vocabulary and look for any collection of M-A-N or M-E-N. For that matter, when the word woman, what are the last three letters there, Greg? M-A-N. That's sexist. <laughs> it, we should replace the word woman with wo-woman. <laughs> well, then it just... I mean, you can have a lot of fun with some kooky <laughs> autocorrect uh, going on with all this kind of... It is ridiculous, and I think the, the, I think what's more is this indicates the lack of systemic thinking over by our friends over on the left. Because uh, if if someone you know instead of trying to find actual sexism, instead of trying to find actual um, genuinely hurtful or or something inappropriate being said in the halls of Congress. People go looking for problems to solve. We go looking for enemies. And they've decided the word amen is now an enemy. It now has to be stamped out or it needs to be replaced or at least it needs to have a woman next to it. Even though, as you pointed out, it's not gendered language. It comes from Hebrew. And these are these are not like, you know, I know that uh, this is not, you have to look deep in the Talmud to find what amen means. This is in the dictionary. This is, this is pretty common knowledge here. Um, 
and I think it's interesting I, I, at the heart of it, the country's got really big problems, right? We're still having a big problem with the rollout of the vaccines. Tonight it's going, it's, it's going, feels like it's going slower than a kidney stone passing through our kidneys. Um, pandemic's still pretty bad. Still have a lot of deaths going on. Economy's not where it needs to be. We got a lot of work to do before we get this country where it is. The word amen is not part of the problem facing this country. But all those hard, those other problems are hard. So here comes Ewomanuel Cleaver to come along and to uh, to you know find a, a different problem. He will save us from the word amen. Thank you, Congressperson. Thank you. <laughs> well, speaking of that, apparently I didn't watch it yesterday because you know I do have a life. But apparently Nancy Pelosi uh, started to say the word freshman in welcoming the first <laughs> first term members, and then stopped herself because, of course. It has the word man, but I like your your issue with uh, with woman. You know, you go whoa whoa man. It's but but eventually you just it's like looking in a mirror that reflects into another mirror because every time you go to woman, you have to add another whoa, and so you'll never actually finish the sentence. So, Greg, women will find it so much more appreciative if instead of being called women, they are simply called whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> You know, this harkens back to one of the great poets of our time back in the 90s. I believe he was a, a kind of a beat poet based in San Francisco named Charlie McKenzie, whose uh, great work uh, usually featured the phrase, whoa, man. Um, <laughs> one of the great underrated movies of our generation. So I married an axe murderer. So uh, anyway, there you go. Hey, we're back in mid-season form already, Greg. <laughs> I guess so. Well, they've given us plenty of excellent material to start the year. I have to thank the writers of 2021 already. So, Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at ExpressVPN, expressvpn.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also, we thank you very much for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. You can also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.